no pain, no gain. Yeah, I'm sure we've all, all heard the phrase. Better question, how many of you like the idea of that phrase, there's no pain and no gain? Um, so it's no pain, no gain. The whole idea of it is, isn't it, that, that if we want to, to see something of a long-term gain, then actually that involves us having to press through some short-term pain. Um, and, you know, it's not one of those statements that I'm particularly fond of, if I'm, if I'm honest. You know, it often comes up around the things like um, physical training and going to the gym. And uh, this whole idea that if you want the long-term gain of a of healthy body and to be fit, if you want the long-term gain of, of being able to go off and do a triathlon or to run a marathon, if you want the long-term gain of, of those kind of muscles you can show off in the summer when the sun's shining and the beach, if you want the long-term gain of losing some weight, then you've got to press through the short-term pain of going to the gym. The short-term pain of muscles aching and waking up in the morning stiff and feeling like you can barely get out of bed. You know, and I remember my teachers and my, my lecturers saying something similar to me around when the exam times came around. And um, for some of you, exams will be a distant memory. For others of you, they're probably just around the corner. And it's a very real reality for you at the moment. And it's this whole idea of pushing through the short-term pain of revision giving up the things which actually you'd much rather be doing for the long-term gain of getting the grades that are going to set you up for your future. And as I say, I've never been particularly great at this. I've never been someone who's gone to the gym. I have no desire to go to the gym. I have no plans to go to the gym. It doesn't appeal to me in the slightest. And it doesn't appeal to me because I'm just not motivated enough by the long-term gain for it to be worthwhile pushing through that short-term pain. And when it came to revision, it was a similar kind of story. It all varied depending on what the subject was. If it was a subject that I cared about and I was motivated by, then I would set to and I would do the revision and I would embrace that short-term pain. But if it was a subject that actually I didn't really care about at all, I didn't have much interest in, then it was an awful lot harder to discipline myself to do that. And so I think we embrace short-term pain to the extent that we are motivated by the long-term gain. And this morning, if you are here for the first time, or you're here and you wouldn't even really consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, then then really you've just got an opportunity this morning to see backstage, to to kind of uh, see something of what it is that motivates us as, as followers of Jesus. Something in particular that, that motivates us, particularly here as this church in St. Austell. And the long-term gain for us, what motivates us, what my heart is and what motivates me, the reason that we exist as a church, as I said earlier on, is that we exist to see God's love transform lives as we follow him. You know, and my heart and our heart as a church is that as we give our lives to following Jesus, we will see something more. Something more of the love of God in action in our lives, bringing about transformation, bringing about freedom, bringing about breakthrough. That this church for each and every one of us, for me and for you, would be a place where we would find healing. Healing from past hurts, just as much as healing from physical things. Where insecurity and fear would be broken in our lives. Where people who maybe feel trapped in life or beaten up by life would be set free. 
Where we would receive something of God's forgiveness and be set free from guilt. Where we would experience something of what it is to be people who are secure as people who are loved and accepted. And not only is it, is it that, that, that our, our hope and our, our, our kind of dream that, and our desire and our vision and our motivation that we see God transforming us in that kind of a way for the things of the past. But actually it's also for the things of the future. That we would experience and discover something of the hope of the plans and purposes that God has for our lives. That, that life would be meaningful because of what it is that we have in God. That we would discover what it really looks like to live out of Jesus' promise that we would have life to the full as his followers. As people who have relationship with him. That we would have a, a deep and meaningful relationship with God. That we would know the Holy Spirit in us. In every moment. Empowering us. Equipping us. Enabling us. Guiding us. Comforting us. As we need him in every moment. That we would be a people who are transformed. That God would be at work in our lives as we follow him. We know the long-term gain isn't limited to that. Actually, our vision is, and our motivation is bigger than just ourselves. You know, my heart, and I know it's the heart of so many of you guys too, is that we would see the love of God extend through us to the people in our communities. So that their lives might be transformed too. That the good news of Jesus and his transforming power might be extended to, to people who we know right now are being held captive by spiritual powers of darkness. And so our heart and our longing is to see breakthrough in their lives. In the name of Jesus, isn't it? We want to see lives transformed. We want to see our town transformed as many people come to know Jesus and to receive something of his forgiveness and his healing and his hope in their lives. That's our, our long-term gain. That's what motivates me and that's what motivates us as a church. And if you're part of life, light and life here, then I hope that's something that excites you and something that motivates you too. And I believe that we are in a key season. I've had this on my heart more and more. It's been building all through since before Christmas, through everything we've been talking about. I've been building in my heart that we're in a key season. Where there is a great opportunity for us to see something more. Of the love of God, not only at work in us, but through us. For us to see something more of that long-term gain. But just as we understand in the natural with things like training for a marathon, in order to to see that long-term gain achieved, we have to pursue it. And we have to give ourselves to it. Part of pursuing is pressing through that short-term pain. Part of pursuing involves stepping up and it involves commitment and it involves time and it costs us. And in just the same way, I believe God is calling us up that there is a key season where a key season in which where there is an opportunity for us to see something more of the love of God, not only at work in and amongst us here as a church, but around us in our community and through us to see breakthrough, to see healing, to see lives transformed. You know, and today 
Those of you who are regular will know that we're coming to the end of our, our week of prayer and fasting. This is the last day of our week of prayer and fasting. A week where we focus as a church on coming to God in order to, to pursue him. And to pursue what it is that he has for us. To come to God in, in prayer. But also to come to God and to go through some of that kind of short term pain. As we give up things that cost us in fasting. All for the pursuit of God and the pursuit of the long-term gain that our lives would be transformed. And that we would see transformation in the lives of people in our community. You know, and as I've been spending time with God, I've become more and more convinced that this is the area that God is calling us to step up in in this season. If we're going to see that opportunity fulfilled, that we're to step up as a church in prayer and fasting. You know, if we were determined to, to see a change in our bodies, if we were determined that, that we wanted to, to be able to, to do the triathlon or determined that actually, you know what, I want to have a six-pack by the time July comes around or, you know, whatever it might be, if we're determined to see some kind of change in, in our bodies, then, then we under, understand, you know, with us that if we then go, we've got to go to the gym. And so say I then go along to the gym for a week. And I spend a week and I intensely do the kind of push-ups and the sit-ups and I do the weights and everything that I need to do to try and get that six-pack ready for July. And then at the end of the week, I just stop for a few months. What's going to happen come July roll round? And then I might decide, actually, you know, I'm going to try again. And so I'll go back and I do another week and another week of intensely. I'm pressing at it and I'm doing the weights and I'm doing the push-ups and the sit-ups and everything that I need to do. And then I have another few months off. What's going to happen at that is I'm going to have a few different weeks in the year where I'm in a lot of pain. But actually, there will be very little difference in my strength or my fitness as a result of it. Instead, to see real change, what is needed is a consistent commitment to exercise and to training. And I feel that God is saying something similar to us. At this time and in this season as a church, if we really want to see breakthrough, if we really want to see the something more of what God has for us, if we really want to see things within our own lives change, just as much as seeing things change in other people's lives, then actually we need to step up in a consistent commitment to prayer and to fasting. It's the spiritual equivalent of going to the gym. And when it comes to prayer, I think that most of us understand, have some kind of understanding of what that's all about and how to go about it. You know, even those of us who who don't regularly come to church or those of us who might be here who wouldn't even really consider ourselves to be Christians, we've got some understanding of prayer. You know, we find ourselves in those times when we need something, in those times when we're desperate, kind of praying out either with words or with this kind of cry in our heart to God asking him to help us. And so there might well be lots that we need to learn when it comes to prayer. There may be that we don't find prayer particularly easy. And there's lots we need to grow in when it comes to prayer. But we, we kind of understand that it's about talking to God. That it's about thanking God and saying sorry to God and making requests of God and listening to God and simply spending time with God. We get that prayer is an essential part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it's an important part of our relationship with God. We get it. But when it comes to fasting, I'm not so sure we do. You know, for some of you here, 
I imagine that fasting is something that you've never done. Or, or something that you know about, but you don't really get the purpose, and so it's hard to really see the point. Or something that maybe you'd even struggle to define or to explain what it was. You know, and, and I can't stand here and claim to be an, an expert when it comes to fasting. You know, it's something that I've done at different times in my life since I was 18. Um, it's something that I still do regularly, but it's, I'm not an expert in that area. And it's only recently that God has been speaking to me about how important it really is. But Jesus, he talks about both prayer and fasting in Matthew 6. And, and he says this, it should pop up behind me, Matthew 6, verses 5 to 6. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And in the next few verses, he goes on to explain how we should pray and, and talks about the Lord's Prayer and things. And then straight after that, he says this in Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's an incredible parallel in the way that Jesus talks about prayer and fasting. You know, for both prayer and fasting, he, he makes the assumption that it's something that we will do. He says, when you pray and when you fast, don't do it like the hypocrites do. Because they're just interested in looking good before people. And they've received their reward already. Instead, he says, when you pray and when you fast, do it like this. Do it just for God. Only care about what God sees and, and how he's involved. Be pursuing God, not people. And then your heavenly father will see what you do and he will reward you. And so Jesus expects his followers not only to be people of prayer, but to be people who fast. And he takes it for granted that that is part of what we do. And he almost seems to put prayer and fasting on the same level. And actually, that's the exact conclusion that John Wesley came to. He was an amazing follower of Jesus that God worked through to, to bring transformation to this entire country. And, and he wrote this in his journal. He said, I am persuaded that if a Christian has understood the need to fast and does not practice fasting, he will backslide just as surely as a Christian who has understood the need to pray and does not pray. That's a big statement to make, isn't it? And I've got to be honest and say as I've thought about this, and I've, I wonder if Wesley's gone just that little bit too far. But I am convinced that what we see in Jesus' teaching is that prayer and fasting together are the key as we pursue God. 
And this isn't something new that Jesus introduces. We, we, you know, we can read about fasting all through the Bible, both before Jesus and after him. You know, we can read about it with individuals like, like Moses and David. We can read about it with Esther or John the Baptist, with Jesus himself or with Paul. We can also read about how groups gather together to, to pray. Um, you get the, the group of, of, of leaders in Acts 13 who gather together to pray. We get whole cities like Nineveh who gather together to fast and to pray. We get whole nations that gather together and fast and pray. And when they do, they include the men and the women and the children even get involved. Yeah, so fasting isn't something for the, for the odd super spiritual person. This is something which is for everybody. And so what is it? What is it to, to fast? Well, traditionally, and most commonly, a fast is a voluntary choice not to eat for a period of time in order to pursue God. And so this isn't a health fast, and this isn't a diet, where our motivation for doing it is a physical motivation. It's not a, a, a time when we, you know, we forgot our lunch at work. And so we think, oh, it's okay, I'll, I'll just fast instead. You know, this isn't a, a hunger strike or some kind of thing where we try and twist God's arm and force him to do something for us. This is a spiritual discipline of giving up something that costs us in order to pursue God. There was a guy called Sam Storms. He wrote a book called Pleasures Evermore. And he said this about fasting. He said, fasting is a feast. It's an interesting start to it, isn't it? Fasting is a feast. Fasting is all about eating. It's about ingesting the word of God, the beauty of God, the presence of God, the blessings of God. Fasting is about spiritual gluttony. It's not about giving up food for its own sake. It's about giving up food for Christ's sake. And this is so important. You know, it's it's not like we somehow get closer to God by making ourselves feel miserable and hungry. You know, there's no great kind of thing where suddenly you're this amazing person because you can go through life miserable. It's It's a choice for a period of time to set aside something, to give up something that we value, something that costs us, as a way of pursuing God, of saying to God that he is of greater value to us than this thing that we've set aside. Whether it be food or whether it be anything else. And part of that then means that when we fast, it's not just about what we give up, it's not just about giving up something, it's about taking on something. We commit extra time to to pray and to just being with God. Otherwise we're just hungry. And the time period that, that we give to fasting, it can be pretty much anything that we, we choose for it to be. You know, in the Bible, we see lots of examples. We see people who fast for, for one day, or we see people who fast for half a day, and they just kind of give up a meal or two. Or we see people who fast for three days, or seven days, or 14 days, or Daniel who chooses to do a partial fast for 21 days. Or we even get a couple of people on key moments who choose to fast for 40 days. And so the issue of length really isn't that important. You know, a sensible idea with fasting as it would be with going to the gym is you start small and you build up your muscles until you can do something bigger. So don't start off with the idea of I'm going to do 40 days off the bat. You start small and then you go on from there. And what kind of things does a fast involve giving up? Well, the most common thing 
that we see people fasting from in the Bible is food. And there are a couple of occasions in the Bible where people do what's often called a dry fast, where they go without both food and water for a period of time. And to be honest, I wouldn't recommend it. And I mean that seriously. Unless God has has specifically spoken to you in a very clear way and somebody else, other people have confirmed that to you and are going to stand with you through that process, I wouldn't recommend it. And if you do feel that, I'd still encourage you to get medically checked out because it's dangerous and only to do it for a short period of time. But the most common fast in the Bible, and one which actually isn't going to do you any harm at all, apart from give you a rumbly stomach for a couple of days, is to just go without food, but to still have water or to drink. You also get a fast in the Bible, it's a partial fast like Daniel did, where you, you either you can skip certain meals um, in the day, or where you can skip certain portions of your diet. So, so Daniel said, I'm just going to give up um, everything apart from fruit and vegetables. But really, in, in, in essence, you know, you might already be a vegan or a vegetarian, and so that's not a big deal to you. Happy days. I'll just be a Daniel fast all my, all my time. But it's, it's about saying, I'm going to give up the bit of my diet which matters most to me. The bit of my diet which I choose and which I love. That bit of my diet I'm going to give up. As a way of saying to God that he is what's precious to me. He is the one that I'm pursuing. Equally, though, we can fast things other than food. You know, Paul talks openly um, about some people who fasted from, from sexual relationship with each other. And he talks to the husband and the wife and he says, if you're going to do that, well, make sure you're both in agreement. You support each other in it and don't do it for too long or you'll upset one another. You know, if, you, if we fast within our culture, there are all signs of things that might cost us and to, to help us to pursue God in some kind of a way, like fasting from social media, or from TV, or from the internet, or fasting from your mobile phone. Now, these are things which constantly pull at us and demand our attention. These are things that we can become addicted to or reliant on. So there are lots of options when it comes to what we fast and how long we fast. And for some people, fasting food isn't possible because of medical reasons or something like that, and that's absolutely fine, and you're not excluded in this because there are other ways that you can fast. The key is that we are voluntarily choosing to give up something that costs us for a period of time in order to pursue God. And it's so important that that's what our motivation is. Because when we come to a time of fasting, it's not just about what we are fasting from in that time, but it's about what we are feasting on in that time. How we are using the fast as an opportunity to pursue God and to position ourselves to receive something more of what it is that he has for us. And you might be sat there thinking, well, why is fasting so important in all of this? And you know, that's a good question because I said earlier on, we will only push through and press through short-term pain to the extent that we are motivated by the long-term gain. So we've got to understand what it's all about. We've got to understand what the long-term gain is. And what's the long-term gain for us? And when it comes to fasting, there's loads of different benefits. Now, the primary purpose is is simply just to pursue God. 
to get closer to him. But there are so many benefits when it comes to fasting. Do you know what? There are physical benefits. There's this kind of myth from uh, when I was growing up, and, and people still seem to think it that, that when you're doing fasting, it's, it's going to be bad for you. you can't, children can't possibly fast because they're growing, and you know, all sorts of different stuff. And it's a complete myth. And medical kind of nutritionalists have finally managed to catch up with something which God has been teaching us in the Bible for thousands of years. And now fasting is becoming something which nutritionalists are recommending that people do. They're recommending that bodybuilders do it. If you go online and search to do with bodybuilders and fasting, you'll find all sorts of stuff out there because they're beginning to understand the benefit that it does to us physically when we fast. But you know, more importantly for us is the spiritual benefits. Now, the promise from Jesus that we read in Matthew 6 is that God will see what we do and he will reward us. That he will hear our prayers and as a result, he will respond. That's an amazing promise, isn't it? But what I've been struck by as I've been kind of preparing for today and what I want to focus on are three ways in which fasting impacts us and changes us. And so we're going to focus on how fasting is a God-given spiritual discipline to help us to become people who are more humble, more hungry, and more holy. I once heard Derek Prince say that the greatest single specific barrier to getting an answer to our prayers is pride. And anything that will get that barrier out of the way will facilitate the answer to our prayers. It's another big statement, isn't it? And I think he's right. You know, we read in the Bible in 1 Peter 5, verses 5 to to 6, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And the word that Peter uses to say that God opposes the proud is the same word that you might use as somebody who gets an army and sets an army up in opposition to the proud. So this is a big deal. I don't want God to oppose me. And I don't want God to oppose you. And I don't want God to oppose us as a church. We need his grace. I need his grace. You need his grace. We so desperately need his grace. And he promises to give his grace to the humble. And I think sometimes we struggle with really understanding what pride and humility is. And I've always remember um, C.S. Lewis and how he defined humility. He said that humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It isn't thinking that you're worthless or thinking that other people are better than you. It's simply thinking about yourself less. And at the prayer meeting, we were praying on Friday, and this quote came to mind, and I was thinking, God was speaking to me about pride. And I realized that pride can be defined in a very similar way. Pride isn't thinking lots of yourself. It isn't necessarily thinking that you're better than other people. Pride is simply thinking about yourself lots. It's being focused on yourself. And let's be honest, that's something that we all struggle with. Something that we all do. In the natural, there is this almost constant pull within us back to thinking about ourselves and our wants and our desires. And fasting is one of the best ways then to combat pride. David writes in Psalm 35 verse 13, he says, I humbled myself with fasting. 
That was the means that he used to humble himself. When we fast, it's a way of saying, I'm not going to allow myself and my wants and my desires to be what my life is centered on. Instead, I'm going to submit myself to God. So as we fast, it helps us to to humble ourselves. It makes us aware of how weak we are and how dependent on God we are. It brings us to a place where we're we're forced to admit that we need him. As we fast, we we bring all of our emotions and our desires and we, we surrender them to God and say that, God, you're more important than this, what I'm feeling right now. And there is incredible power in the act of humbling ourselves and surrendering ourselves to God. Because his promise is that while he may oppose the proud, he gives grace to the humble. Not only though does fasting help us to become more humble, it helps us to become more hungry. And you know, we often think, I think of hungry as, as a bad thing. If I'm hungry, I want it to be sorted out pretty fast. I want to get my dinner in me. I don't like being hungry. But you know what? It's not a bad thing. Because you see, actually, in our bodies, hunger is a sign of health. When you're hungry, it shows that you've got a good appetite. And that's a good thing. Actually, if someone loses their appetite and they're not hungry and they've got no interest in food, we start to get pretty concerned about them, don't we? And why it is they're not eating. And why it is that they don't want to eat and they're not hungry. What's wrong? And if you've lost your spiritual appetite, if you're not hungry for something more of God, maybe you need to fast and get hungry. Because fasting increases our hunger and our desperation for God. In Matthew 9, we we read about um, how there's this time when the followers of John the Baptist, they come to talk to Jesus. Um, And and they they come to Jesus and they don't understand why Jesus' followers aren't fasting. And and Jesus, he, he says to them that while he's with them, they won't fast. But there's going to be a time which is coming when he's going to be gone, when he won't be with them anymore. And at that time, his followers will start to fast. And part of what I get from that is that fasting is a declaration of our desperation and our hunger to be close to Jesus. The fact that he's not as close to us as we would like. It's a... We want something more of him and his power and his presence in our life. And you know, our life can get so full of other things. We can be so busy, not just with activity, but with all of the different things that kind of pull at our attention and the input into us. You know, we're surrounded constantly with different inputs of of TV and, and phones which are with us in every moment and, you know, the music and radio and everything is just constantly inputs from different directions. And so we can become full. And there's no space for God anymore. And so he's, he's there and, and he's pouring out his spirit. But there's only room for just so much within us. And so it can be easy then in those times to start to lose sight of what matters most and for our hunger to start to fade away because we've been trying to satisfy ourselves and to fill ourselves with all of these other things instead. And you know, when I fast, one of the things which I find most helpful are those moments when my stomach rumbles. You know, when, you know, if I'm fasting something else, say I'm fasting TV, that moment when you have that desire to, to pick up the TV remote and you've got to stop yourself. 
because you, you've given it up in order to pursue something more of God. And those moments are helpful. And they're helpful because they become my trigger point not to, to moan about what it is that I'm going through. They become my trigger point to remind me of why I'm doing what I'm doing and of the fact that I'm hungering for something more of God. And so when my stomach rumbles, it prompts me to pray and to cry out to God and to say, God, I want something more of what it is that you've got for me. I want something more of what you've got for us as a church. Every hunger pang reminds us of how much we need him. Reminds us to be hungry and to pray. Reminds us that we are utterly dependent on him. Reminds us to be hungry for more of God in our lives and hungry to see God at work in us and through us to bring transformation to our community. So fasting, it helps us to become more humble and it helps us to become more hungry. The last thing that I just want to touch on is that it helps us to become more holy. You know, one of the amazing things that happens in our physical body, I said there's all sorts of physical benefits to fasting that nutritionists have been started talking about. One of the amazing things which happens in our physical bodies when we fast is that our body is able to cleanse our blood. When you fast, your liver isn't having to process all of the toxins within that you're putting into yourself and all of the food that you're putting into yourself. And so instead, it's able to focus on processing and cleansing your blood. On getting rid of all of the impurities and, and all of the, the, the fat that's built up. And in the spiritual, something similar happens. Through fasting, the hidden things inside our hearts the impurities and the toxins, they come to the surface. And God shows us what it is that we need to deal with. You know, I've often made excuses um, when I, I kind of get irritable or grumpy and I've got a bad attitude or I react in a way to Rosie. And nearly always I'm, I'll come and I'll say, I'm sorry, I'm just tired. Or I'm sorry, I'm just hungry. And when we fast, we're inevitably going to have those moments when we're hungry and we're uncomfortable. And when we're hungry and we're uncomfortable, we all of our kind of reserves disappear. And what's really going on inside of us kind of comes to the surface. And we find ourselves reacting in ways that we don't want to. But actually, do you know what? That is something of God's grace at work through the fasting to bring to light what's going on inside of us so that he can begin to work on it and deal with it in our hearts. So that we can become aware of it and invite the Holy Spirit to work in that area of our lives. Something in us is revealed that God wants to purify. And as we fast, as we focus on God, there's something in that where as we shift our attention and we say we're wanting to focus on him, where we we tune in and we become more aware and more sensitive of the Holy Spirit. And so he'll often use this time to speak to us and reveal things to us. And so often that's about what's going on inside of us. Something that we might not have thought of or be aware of that he brings to light and he wants to show us that we just couldn't see before. But you know, fasting also helps us to become more holy because it helps us to grow in self-control. You know, the reality is that, that all of us we're incredibly blessed as people. And we have loads of good things in our lives that, that can be a blessing to us. You know, but while those things can be a blessing, so things like food and money and TV and our mobile phones, they can be amazing blessings. They make great servants, but they make terrible masters. And when we fast, 
we give some of, when we give some of these things up, we are saying food or TV or Facebook, you are not my master. And this helps us to grow in self-control in every other area of our lives as well. Food is a, is a God-given gift that we need and it's brilliant and I love it. But if I learn self-control over a natural appetite like hunger, how many of you think it will help with having self-control in things like my thought life? Or my sexuality? Or getting out of bed in the morning? When we fast, it is saying, I'm going to put my mind and my body and my emotions under the authority of the Holy Spirit. And it helps us to become more holy. Now, there are things that you might be struggling with. There are things that you might be struggling with in your life that will only be broken and you will only be set free from through prayer and fasting. So with fasting, there is no doubt that we will have to go through some short-term pain. But the promise that I find through the Bible is that it leads to long-term gain. As we pursue God through prayer and fasting, we will be changed. As I think the main thing which happens as we fast is that God works on us and we're changed. And we will be changed to become more like Jesus. We will be changed to become more humble and more hungry and more holy. Our lives will be transformed. But we can all find all sorts of promises linked with this then in the Bible. I love this one. In 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14, this is what God says. He's speaking to the nation of Israel and he says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. So that's being more humble. And pray and seek my face. That's being more hungry and pursuing God. And turn from their wicked ways. That's growing in holiness and being more holy. Then I will hear from heaven. Forgive their sin and heal their land. God's promise is that he will hear our prayers. He will forgive our sin and that he will bring transformation to us. That's forgive our sin. Bring, he will transform us and our lives and set us free. But he will also heal our land. That's bring transformation to our community, to the people around us. And that's the long-term gain. That's what we're about as a church. That's the whole reason that we're here. That's what motivates me. And what makes the short-term pain of something like fasting all worthwhile. And so as we, as a church has been looking at how we can begin to step up in prayer and fasting and, and what that might look like and how we can make this a more normal part of our kind of rhythm of life. You know, we've obviously just had a week of prayer and fasting, and that's been fantastic. And we have them periodically, and they're always great times. And well done to all of you who have pressed through the short-term pain and given something up to pursue something more of God through this week. But we don't want to be like people who go to the gym for a week and then give up for a few months. Because we understand that if we're going to see real change and real transformation in our lives and through us, that we need consistent commitment. So we're looking to establish a system 
where we know that there are a group of people within the church praying and fasting every single week of the year. And so we're going to roll this out through the growth groups. And each growth group is going to take their turn praying and fasting for a week so that each growth group will pray and fast for one in six weeks of the year. And so if you're part of a growth group already, that's fantastic and you'll naturally join in with this and be encouraged in this. And if you're not part of a growth group, let me encourage you that there's such a significant part of our life as a church. It's so important in, in how we connect with one another and grow relationally with one another as well as grow in our relationship with God. And if for whatever reason you're not able to be part of a growth group, I don't want you to miss out in this. So I've put a sheet at the back on the on the welcome table. And if you put your name down on there, I will tie you in with one of the growth groups. And I will let you know when it's that growth group's turn to pray so that you can join in and participate and play your part in the church family that we are. And what it looks like for us to press in and to see something more of what it is that God has for us. Now, as I said at the beginning, though, fasting's like going to the gym. And when you first go to the gym, I've avoided it so I wouldn't know, but from what I hear, it hurts. And you come away aching. And you might come away from that first visit and think, my goodness me, I don't like that very much. That's uncomfortable and it's unpleasant. I don't like the way it makes me feel in the morning. Or you might come away from it discouraged because you went wanting to pump up your muscles and you you come away and after a week you look and there's not an awful lot of change. And you might wonder, what's the point? But we understand the principle with building our physical muscles that we have to push through the short-term pain for the long-term gain and that it takes time and it takes consistency. And it's the same with fasting. The immediate effect that you might feel and that you might go through is uncomfortable. And it might not be all that enjoyable. And you might not see much change. But the long-term effect of fasting is that you are sowing into and strengthening your spirit. And you are positioning yourself as somebody who is humble and hungry and holy to receive the something more of what God has for you. To be someone that God can work through to bring transformation to others. And there's nothing better than that. That's something that's worth giving our lives for. 